I want to tell you a story this week, and the reason is that someone approached me and asked me whether I thought she was ready to hire a trainer to represent her training business. And I asked her what she meant by ready. I said, do your clients trust you? And she said, yes. Do they trust your judgment? And she said, yes. And then I asked, do you know your clients' needs inside out, their business? And she said, yes. And I said, well, then you're ready. But the question is not whether you're ready. The question is whether the person going to represent your brand, deliver your training material in front of your clients is ready. That's the question. I've hired trainers before and I've been lucky and sometimes I've screwed up. So today I'm going to give you a recipe for hiring a trainer good enough to train your programs to your clients. This is episode 101 of the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode this week of the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants just like you and I all around the world. And the goal of this episode and every single episode, all 100 episodes to date, is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Before the music, I explained that a listener has asked me for tips in the last week. And the question is whether she's ready to hire a trainer to represent her training business. But it's not the most important question, is it? Because she's ready, as I explained before the music. The question is whether the person they are thinking of hiring is ready. So first of all, let's start by asking ourselves, when is it time to hire another trainer? Maybe you're stretched. Maybe you cannot meet all the training demands on you right now, which of course is a nice problem to have. But you want to be very careful about hiring someone whose actions whose delivery will be judged as being the standard of delivery that you provide. Are you happy to have someone in your shoes, under your brand, wearing your hat when you're not there? And this reminds me of a really uh, embarrassing story a number of years ago where I was part of a training company. I and two other guys had a training company. We were delivering training to clients, particularly in the Middle East, And we hired a guy, one of the guys in the company, made this kind of lazy recommendation to me about this trainer called Liam. I won't give you his last name, but Liam was asked by us to deliver training in Saudi Arabia. And the two other guys left me to hire this guy, to walk him through the program and to ensure that he could do the job. Now, I went on the basis that the person making the recommendation had rigorously evaluated this guy, Liam, to consider whether he was ready. And I didn't do a proper job, in effect. What happened was we flew this guy out to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. And I was there for a week previously, then my colleague Brian for the second week, and then this trainer called Liam. And he was out there for three weeks, one week delivery, one week off, and another week of delivery. And then I was to come back for weeks four and five. And the reason I came back because, well, obviously there was a couple of weeks between my delivery dates, 
but it made no sense economically to fly this guy across and have him come back and come back again the following week. So we decided to keep the guy there, paid his accommodation costs, paid his expenses, etc. Now, I made seven huge mistakes. One, I knew nothing about the subject this guy was training. That's the first alarm bell. You should always know the subject when someone is representing your brand in that subject area, whether it's leadership, resilience, marketing, sales, management training, etc. That's the first thing I didn't do. I knew nothing about the subject this guy, Liam, was going to train. Secondly, I trusted the source of recommendation. Big mistake. I should always, and you should always, reevaluate anything, anyone recommended to you as if you're meeting them for the first time. The third mistake I made was that I did not test to ensure this guy knew his material. And I'll tell you a funny story in a moment. I did no test because I knew nothing, problem one, about the subject and could not clarify, verify whether this guy was actually an expert in that subject. It turned out he wasn't. Problem number four, or mistake number four, um, the training content was designed and owned by this guy. There was no review of it by me, and I didn't bother signing off. I assumed he could not just train, but also was able to design. Big mistake number five, there was no support on the ground in case things went wrong. And they did go wrong, which I'll come to in a moment. Big mistake number six, there was no co-delivery of content with this guy as a first-time trainer. I had no idea if he could train. My colleague Brian hadn't tested whether this guy could train. He was a subject matter expert, allegedly, but no one bothered to evaluate whether this guy actually knew his stuff. So there was no one in the room with him delivering for the first time, watching him deliver, stepping in, co-delivering. And big mistake number seven, there was nothing in the clause to claw back any payment in case of underperformance. So one, I knew nothing about the subject. Two, I trusted naively the source of recommendation. Three, there was no test done to ensure this guy knew the material. Four, the training content was designed and owned by this guy without any review or sign-off by me or the other directors. Number five, there was no support on the ground in case things went wrong. Number six, there was no co-delivery of content as this guy was a first-time trainer. And seven, there was nothing in the clause to claw back payment in case of underperformance. Now, I received a call on the Sunday morning because in Saudi Arabia, Sunday's a work day, uh, Friday and Saturday are free days. I received a call at 5 a.m. and this guy on the phone, Mansoor, said there's a problem with the trainer, with this guy Liam. And I said, what's wrong? I was half asleep. And he said, well, he doesn't know the material. And I, I felt the chills go up my spine. I said, what do you mean he doesn't know the material? And Mansoor said, he's got the courses mixed up. He was relying on the week in between his training programs to prepare for the second course. So Mansoor had asked him, actually, um, the course you're giving us, we had this course two weeks ago. So never mind. Why don't you deliver this program, the one you were going to do in two weeks time? Why don't we do that this week instead? It turns out he couldn't because he was using, as I said, the week in between his two courses to prep for the second course. Disaster. So all of a sudden we have this guy up there who's been there for a week at this stage, about to deliver a program. He can't do it because he doesn't know his stuff. He hasn't prepped. He's not ready. And there's no backup. There's no program for him to deliver in that place. And I'm several thousand miles away. 
So what happened? I had to fly this guy home two days later. I had to go out early, which cost me money and cost me even more money flying this guy home, uh, you know, extra quickly. We had to pay him for time spent there because the contract had no clause to clawback payment in case of under delivery or no delivery, no performance. And expenses were extremely expensive. And we had to to make or keep Mansoor and his team happy. We had to deliver the next program for free. And unsurprisingly, to make things even worse, we eventually lost the contract. Now, that's a very painful story. It's embarrassing. It's true. It's honest, searingly honest. But this is perhaps a worst case scenario. On the other hand, I've learned by working with really organized, clever, qualified super responsible trainers that there are people out there whom you can put in front of your clients and they will do a great job. They know they're brief, they're organized, they have delivered training programs on this subject several times, they have testimonials to that effect. You can trust them, you've worked with them, you observe them, and you are happy to put them in front of your people. So there are two sides of the same coin. So what do you need to look for? Well, I'm going to run through a couple of things, seven things in all, which I think will help you in terms of doing a good job in hiring the right trainer. Number one is to go to your network of trainers. Ask another trainer if they know other trainers as good as them. Now, as trainers, you more than likely have experienced great training and crap training, whether that's from you or from other people, and you will know when you're around a really professional trainer. They're organized they're on message, they know they're brief, they have a great connection with people in the room and with clients. So ask your network, do they know trainers that they would recommend? And that's obviously got to be a great place to start. Otherwise, in a secondary fashion, you could go on to LinkedIn and look at people's profiles. Look at the profiles of trainers. There are hundreds of thousands of trainers on LinkedIn. Look at their profiles and make a short list. Make up your mind about their experience connect to them, ask them if they're willing to work with another trainer, uh, if they're willing to be interviewed. You could prepare a briefing doc. You could film a video of yourself. And I've seen this done very well, by the way, where companies hire associate trainers by bringing them to a specific page with a video from the CEO introducing herself or himself and outlining the kinds of qualities, experience and requirements from an associate trainer. And then they often have links to questionnaires using tools like Typeform or SurveyMonkey, which they get the prospective trainer to fill in. Now, that's the first thing, is to consult your network or go to the network of networks LinkedIn, find trainers, shortlist them, connect with them, interview them, give them some kind of data which explains exactly what you're looking for. And this kind of tripwire weeds out the kinds of people who do not meet the requirements that you need. That's the first thing. The second thing is once you've found someone through recommendation or through your own search is to schedule a series of chats. And if you listen to episode eight with Karen Winfield, who is global ops director of a training company in Brisbane, Australia, she explains in that episode how they have multiple steps to get trainers to qualify themselves in or out of that process. So one of the things you could do is ask your prospective trainers to send in a video to you. You could ask them to 
maybe talk about why they're passionate about training. And even in that two minutes, you can very quickly make up your mind. Do you feel any vibe with this person? Do you connect with this person? Can you envisage this person representing your brand? The next thing could be to attend a video interview live with you. You could ask them as a precursor to design some material, something maybe lasting 15 or 20 minutes. I've done this so many times, delivering my own material. And then to present that material live on video, you could ask them to additionally complete some kind of online test to qualify them in terms of their subject matter expertise. You could even give them a case study and ask them for their view or their options or solutions on things. Ask them for their improvements on that material. The cautionary note I would give you here is not to set too many hurdles because you're not recruiting someone for an intelligence agency. This is not a full-time job unless it is a full-time job. What you want is a trainer who satisfies your minimum requirements that they are good enough to do the job. So come up with questions you wish to ask. Ask questions about their rates, their experience, their qualifications. And when it comes to rates, some people might say, listening to this, well, it's too soon to ask them about their rates. Well, that's possibly true. You could, in fact, in step one, in your questionnaire using something from Typeform or SurveyMonkey through a drop-down menu, ask them to choose the minimum and maximum rates. And that's interesting, actually, to ask people what they feel the maximum rate is. I would personally rather someone asks for too much than too little. If someone asks for too little, that's a bad sign. It perhaps uh, indicates a lack of confidence and experience in their abilities. Step number three is to, once you've gotten past this hurdle of interviewing the person, giving them some kind of test or interviews, getting them to present, is to ensure they are actually a qualified trainer. This will obviously come through uh, whether they're able to present content in that series of chats with you. But I'd also want you to ask for someone who is ATP accredited or TAP accredited or has some qualification which indicates they understand the principles of adult learning theory, kinesthetic, visual, auditory. They have an understanding of the rudimentary fundamentals of what it means to design for adults learning. They have maybe a coaching qualification or a training accreditation. I've mentioned two, ATP in the States and TAP in the UK. I have TAP, not ATP, and I have a second and a third one. I also got one through working with Disney as a Disney uh, qualified train the trainer. So I'm qualified to train other trainers to be trainers, if that makes sense. Um, They say that those people who can't do teach, I say that those who can't teach shouldn't. So it's one thing to hire someone with years of, say, corporate experience, but you really want to to ensure that someone can also teach using those years of corporate experience. Many people are great managers or great subject matter experts, but they just can't get across in a training room the the material in a way that people understand it, relate to it, and remember it. If they can't retain it, it's a waste of time. So no matter how good that person's experience is, they still need to be able to connect with people and make them want to learn. So I want someone who's passionate about the subject because Education is not uh, the transfer. It's not the filling of a bucket, as W.B. Yeats, the Irish poet, said. It's the igniting or the lighting of a fire. I would ask whether that person is doing associate work 
a long time? Where has she or he worked as a trainer previously? You might say, well, I want you to have minimum four, three, five years of experience. And you also want to ensure that this person isn't a generalist, but they're ideally a specialist. Have they been working in that area? Have they been training in content from that area? If they're a leadership trainer, or so they say, have they ever been a leader? Have they trained people in leadership? If they're a management trainer, ostensibly, have they ever been a manager? For how long? What do they manage? What size of team? And have they trained people in being a manager? And something else that I often see people make mistakes in doing is to look for people with a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. Now, I have a degree and an MBA, and I can tell you it doesn't really mean anything, um, because what you really want here is experience, judgment, curiosity, passion, and flexibility. They're my top five qualities that I look for when hiring a trainer. One, experience. Two, judgment, responsibility, judgment. Three, curiosity in the subject. Four, a passion for the subject. And of course, flexibility. Five, professional flexibility, willing to roll with the punches and to get back on top when things go wrong. And if I think of all the years that I've been training, things have gone wrong so many times. It's how you bounce back. It's how you roll with that. That's what counts. So I'm looking for those kinds of things in trainers, experience, judgment, curiosity, passion, and flexibility. Number four today is to set a test. Now, I'm not talking about an exam. You don't want people to feel they're under a microscope. If people are you know, examined too, um, too intensely, they perhaps feel they're being doubted. So you want to ensure that that person actually um, can do the basics, but they're not being made to feel foolish. So what I would ask them to do is to present their own material and maybe to present yours. And then also, this is interesting, to give them feedback and then ask them to present again maybe the same day or a future time, and see if they take on that feedback or ignore it. And if people ignore it, they're not coachable, which is a bad sign. And if they take on board your feedback and apply that to the next time they deliver the content or to the next uh, couple of minutes of that session, see if they've actually listened and apply that, this is a signal they're coachable. What does that mean? Well, if this person isn't willing to take feedback from you, instruction from you, I wouldn't want to give that person uh, the feeling that they can ignore what you're saying. They are still someone who reports to you. They are responsible for delivering your content to your standard. And if they're not coachable, they'll not do that. So keep that in mind. Ask them also, perhaps as a side test, ask them if they can improve or if they'd like to improve the training material. Ask them what they think they can improve. Now, good trainers always believe that training material can be improved. If you get some kind of pushback resistance or sarcasm where someone feels it can't be improved, that too is a bad sign. You always want humble people willing to be coached by you to learn from you because if they're reporting to you, in effect, you're mentoring them. So they've got to be mentorable, if there's such a word, coachable, and they've got to be willing to learn. If you want to outsource design to them, you may want to set them a design task you might want to notice which questions they're asking you and maybe questions they're not asking you because, again, this person will be wearing your hat. They'll be representing your brand. So if you've set the test and you've, you're have you satisfied that they have passed this test, 
Perhaps something else to look at then, number five, is to look for clues that they're well organized. Thinking of the story I told you where this guy Liam turned up completely unprepared, um, that's the kind of thing you do not want to happen to you. So you want to look for clues from maybe testimonials, look at what qualities people attribute to this prospective trainer. Is this person professional, organized? Are they self-reliant? Can they get themselves out of bed? Can they get themselves to an airport if you're flying them somewhere? Perhaps not so much these days with COVID-19, but are they someone you feel you could rely on to organize themselves and get things done? So I'm often looking at, uh, now I know that with COVID-19 right now, people are perhaps uh, less professional on Zoom or because they're working from a home environment, they feel less need to dress up. But you want to ensure someone is what I would call a professionally smart. They are professionally casual. If that's not a contradiction in terms, they look well, they look the part, they're not scruffy, unshaven in a t-shirt delivering to corporate clients. You want someone who dresses a little bit above the people they're training. They want to look like they're an expert. So you want someone who's comfortably attired, comfortably has comfortable body language, but at the same time comes across as someone who's confident and an expert. I would also ask them, are they are they leaders? Are they readers? Because readers are leaders. Are they reading on the subject? Can they answer questions on that subject? So if someone's a leadership trainer, what leadership books have they read recently? They should be able to name a couple of titles. Are they a sales trainer? Have they read the latest book by Mike Weinberg or from David Brock or from a number of other uh, writers in sales, which is what I read on? Um, if they're if they read a book called um, Why Should Anyone Be Led by you? you, you can throw titles out there and ask people for their opinions on audiobooks they've listened to or hardback or paperback books you've read. What you want to ensure that the person knows more than the content in the training material. And it's frightening when all a trainer knows is what's in that ring binder or in that database or in that course. You want them to know more than is in that course. Do they blog? Do they write articles? Have you read them? Have they an opinion, an informed opinion on that subject? Have they filmed the videos? Great. Can you see them? Can you watch them? All of these things, these small things have a big impact. These are all the things that really count when someone gets past the interview stage. Are they organized, presentable, well-read? Are they regularly posting, blogging, creating content on that subject, which proves they are an, an articulate and informed person to train other people on that subject. And that's an obvious one to check. It's a very simple thing to do. Have they a website? Have they a blog? Have they articles? Uh, What comments do they have on other people's content? Are they reading content? Can they discuss that content with you? If you can't discuss that content with them, find someone who can dictate, or rather, I should say, uh, discern whether that person is knowledgeable on that subject. Number six is to ensure they have sufficient availability. If you're going to invest time in someone, ensure they have time for you, for your training business. Are they, let's say, available for four to seven business days per month? If you're looking for regular work from them, you want to ensure that that person is going to be available to help you to recoup the investment in them. Because if you're investing time in training them, recruiting them, onboarding them, training them up to deliver your content... You want to ensure they're available to deliver content. And what some training companies do is they don't 
pay anyone when they're training them up. I'm sure that's uh, something you can form your own opinion on. If you're over onerous or excessively demanding and require someone to keep making themselves available at no uh, for no money in return for training material, people might resent that. So you want to make sure you're fair and giving people some kind of remuneration for their time. It's up to you what you do, but you want to make it worthwhile for that person to invest time in properly learning your content. And of course, then ensuring they are availability or they're available for the requisite number of days that you need them to be available for your clients. If they are working from home, you want to ensure they have an office where they can be presentable. There's a nice backdrop. It looks professional. Um, they're uninterrupted. They can deliver training remotely in a professional environment. If they're traveling face-to-face, if they're willing to travel, and if it's appropriate to travel, it may, may not be, and it currently isn't appropriate to travel in 2020, in August, as I'm recording this, you want to ensure that person is willing to travel if that's what your business demands. And I was fortunate to travel to APAC, Taipei, Jakarta, Sydney, Bangkok two years ago because other trainers were unwilling to. And that's funny how some people are unwilling to travel beyond their own country. So again, think of the requirements that you may have for this person, either delivering remotely or traveling to remote locations Is that person flexible? Are they willing to do this? Because that may be a requirement when COVID goes away. Have they a business first mindset? Are they flexible and willing to adapt to the demands of your clients? Some people do not want to get up before uh, six in the morning. Some people have a real problem with delivering content at, say, Eastern European times or at Asia times. So if you're, for example, in Europe right now or the States, you could be asked to deliver training at nighttime, uh, which is their morning time, or vice versa. Is that something you're willing to do? Maybe, but is that something that your hired trainer is willing to do? That's a great question. And number seven today is to introduce this person when the time is right to your client. Only when the time is right. Frequently, what training companies do good training companies is they put someone in a room with another trainer who's expert so that trainer can also give feedback on what it's like to work with this trainer in front of your people and see if that person gels with your clients see how they get on with people in the room and of course in client meetings is there a spark so you should know could you see yourself entrusting this person to work with other trainers if you've other trainers or entrusting this person to speak with your clients when you're not there? And that's a huge question. Can you sleep well knowing this person has been chosen well and will represent you professionally and properly in front of the people it's been it's cost you time and money to win. So it's got it's cost you time and money to win these training clients. Do you want to risk this relationship with this person? Can you say yes to that? Can you entrust this person to represent you when you're not there? That's the biggest question I'd like to leave you with today. So seven tips, again, from the top. Go to your network of trainers, interview people, look around, make up your own mind, give them some chats to have with you, with other people you trust, ask them to send in a video, attend a video interview or a series of interviews, complete some kind of online test, present material, and also ensure they're qualified. Have they qualifications in training, in coaching, in mentoring? Have they ever been a manager or a leader? What experience in corporate terms have they 
in that subject? Are they experienced? Have they good judgment? Are they curious? Do they display passion? And are they flexible? Set them a test. Are they coachable? Do they take on board your feedback? How do they respond to criticism, professional critique? Is that person sarcastic or are they willing to take on board what you've said? Are they ready to work with you? Are they mentally engaged? Are they well organized? Can they turn up on time? Do they leave the clues which convince you they're presentable, well-read, informed, and articulate? Small things have a big impact. Number six, have they sufficient availability? Are they willing to travel if that's required? And if they're training from home, are they flexible and available at the times that your clients need them? And number seven, finally, is when the time is right, introduce them to the client or to other people in your team. Observe that interaction and make up your own mind. Do you see a spark? Do they have a relationship? Will that person gel with your client? And of course, with the people in the training room. Can you see yourself entrusting this person at the end of the day to be there when you're not there? So that's it. There are my seven tips to help you to hire a trainer to train your training programs. There's a fresh episode of the podcast next Thursday. So until then, look after yourself. Thanks for your time today. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.